Welcome to the Fabricator's Coach podcast, where we believe that every fabricator deserves to have a business that not only makes the money, but also gives them time to enjoy it. In each episode, our goal is to share real information that you can take action on and use today, information that, if you will use it, can help you reduce the chaos in your business, help you make more money, and help you get your life back. So our agenda is, we'll talk about our most recent article in the Sleepy Rock Gazette, the one that came out the first of this month. And as I said, this is really more of a discussion than a presentation. I really like to have all of us kind of learning from each other. I'm a big fan of peer-to-peer learning. If I'm the only, if I'm the smartest guy in the room, we're in trouble. Uh, I think you've all got good experience, good intuition. I think it's good to share that. Uh, just a quick snapshot of my background. I've got over 40 years experience in manufacturing, in business uh, coaching, business ownership, uh, and, and I've worked with hundreds of companies in, in many industries, most of them in the U.S., a little international work. My first project in this industry was over 20 years ago, and we was just talking with Chuck about how much this industry has changed a lot in the, tw- the last 20 years. It's been interesting, interesting to watch some of the transition. I have owned my own brick-and-mortar business. It wasn't a countertop shop, but... Uh, I understand uh, what it's like, how it can be pretty lonely as a business owner. So I know what uh, many of you are going through. Also, I ran a countertop shop for a few years. So I know uh, a lot of the challenges that a lot of you deal with every day as well. The reason that uh, we do these articles and then and then turn them into webinars is I think it's really it's important as a business owner to be able to have a business that doesn't just make you money, but gives you time to enjoy it. I mean, otherwise, what's the point? And the reason we do the articles and webinars is to give you ideas and tips and, and suggestions on how to work on your business and not just work in your business. And for the case of the most business owners, it kind of helps you stop being your most expensive or at least your most overworked employee in many cases. A lot of business owners uh, aren't getting paid that much and they're putting in more work than anybody else. So they're not necessarily the most expensive employee in terms of pay. They can be the most expensive in that they're not moving their business forward. And that's what we want to try to help you do. And now we do all this because, quite frankly, I think you deserve it. I think it's important. And those of you who aren't owners, uh, obviously, we have a lot of ideas. And these things, these suggestions that we make are are good for managers as well. So uh, I want to provide something of use to everybody. Uh, the article we're going to talk about this time is the one that came out first this month called, What Will Your Sales Be in September? Um, and before we dive into it, I want to ask a couple of questions. First is, how many of you are already seeing some sort of negative impact from the economies? Uh, either uh, quotes going down, sales slowing down, showroom traffic's down. Any of you seeing any impact at all from any of that? Uh, we have. This is Chuck. We have seen uh, a little bit of a slowdown. Uh, started a couple of weeks ago, and uh, but... Uh, has picked right back up. Uh, I don't know if that was just a fluke pickup, but uh, everyone in this area that I've talked to, as far as builders, say that things are slowing down uh, economy wide. Okay, good. Susan, how about you guys up in Mount Airy? We're a little softer um, than the last time I joined you at the end of May. Uh, last couple of weeks, accepted quotes have been softer. Um, the created came back up 
uh, last week. The number of quotes we uh, created came back up from the prior week. Um, commercial is is beating our door down, though. Uh, Chuck, I don't know if you do commercial or not, but um, in this area, commercial, um, we, we've had to turn away some some commercial work um, just to just to be able to diversify because um, we easily could could take on more commercial work probably. Now, Susan, on, on commercial, are you looking what what type of commercial? Are you looking at um, you know lobbies for hotels and stores? Are you doing multifamily um, uh, apartment complexes, condos? What what kind of commercial work are you doing? Uh, a little little bit of anything. Uh, several healthcare buildings. A few. Well, I don't know. We have any um, residential. Uh, not residential, but um, apartments or anything like that. But um, just just a variety um, of things. We we've had a couple of big jobs that have taken a lot of bandwidth um, that we're trying to finish up um, and just leave room in the schedule for um, a little more walk-in traffic and residential. Our our schedule is still very packed as of now. Um, but you know, looking forward. The, um, the numbers softened a little bit for the last two weeks. Understood. This is, is a, a pretty big variety. Now, be careful you don't ask me any hard questions because I probably won't know the answer. <laughs> okay. You're trying to get a rough feel. Um, Celio, I think when we talked at, uh, I believe it was Coverings, uh, first of this year, you guys were still running strong because you're doing a lot of uh, kind of a longer-term, larger commercial work, right? Correct. It's still the same. Uh for everyone, we, we only do uh, business to business, so we don't work directly with homeowners. Uh, on the residential side, we do a few custom homes a year, not many. Uh, a lot of multifamily and a lot of office tenant improvements, some hospital work and so on. A lot of those commercial bathrooms, quite a few of those on tile and stone, break rooms and so on. So uh, as far and on the quote side, we're still strong. Uh, we've been noticing that we've been getting quite a few more requests for smaller projects. So seeing that the general contractors out there, not the ones that do big multifamily projects, but uh, the ones that do all kinds of projects are trying to get what they can at this moment. And but besides that, we're going strong. We have a still one very large multifamily project going on, another one. Our biggest ever actually starting in September, the, the, the uh, installations. And on the quote side, going strong. On the pro, on the project side, it's 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 still the same challenges. The example, what will our sales be in September? The real numbers, right? The cash coming in. Yeah. Uh, because of these schedule changes. Uh, but, we just had it. Uh, one good example that the, the large multifamily projects is uh, 390 units plus a lot of work in landscape in common areas, and uh, if for stone and tile, and uh, the second half of the units got delayed for three months, so that puts a big hit on oh. workforce and predictability. So. Yeah, tough when you get that much work moving, shifting the schedule. That has a huge impact on your business, I'm sure. Yes, yes. 
how many of you do uh, formal sales forecast? And by formal, I mean something that's written down, updated regularly. Uh, does anybody do anything like that in your business? We don't. Okay, Susan, I know you're the you're the number cruncher in your business. Do you you see any of that going on? Um, for by forecast, do you mean um, looking at um, looking at things we've already quoted, or just looking for new work forecast? Well, as you're looking out to okay, this is kind of we're toward the last half of of June at this point. Uh, what do you think July is going to look like? What's August going to look like? Kind of that looking ahead, you know, business planning type thing. Do you see any of that happening that, that you're aware of? Well, um, as we as we accept quotes, um, we always have a projected template date. You know, if it's new construction, you know, that may be six months out or whatever. So we do track that to see what kind of volume we're going to need for the shop and um for our road crews, um, you know, two to three months out, um, but not as far as, usually not as far as September because we usually, we may not have, you know, have anything in the pipeline. We may have some, but not not a lot this far out. Okay, all right, that's understood. Yeah, I talked to a fabricator earlier this year. I went up to visit them and they uh, did an assessment for them and, and they had, probably six months worth of business already sold, booked. But as of February, March this year, when I talked to them, a lot of that work wasn't even going to start till next year. So the stuff that you've already got booked that you, you can start to plan for, that's that's one type of forecasting. Kind of forecasting we'll talk about today is the stuff that's not booked, uh, you don't know that it's out there. But as a business owner or, or as a key manager, you've got to plan for well, what's the future going to look like? Are things going to get better? Are they going to get worse? If they get better, how much better? And do I need to look at hiring people? If they're going to get worse, what can I do about it? Or how do I need to react to it? It's that type of, of long midterm and long-term forecasting that I think is a really big component of working on your business and not just in your business. It's that look ahead to say, okay, what's what's going to be happening and, and what do I do about this? How do I handle it? Um, what I find in talking with business owners is if you've been in this business more than just a few years, you've got good intuition about your business. You know what your customers, your B2B customers are, are looking like. Uh, you know what they expect. You know what your, your retail customers look like, where you kind of fit in the market. And you've got kind of a feel for the kind of the hum in the business. You know, what's that walk-in traffic in the showroom feel like? How frequently is a phone ringing? That sort of thing. Um, but And that intuition, I think, is good. But I think of the intuition as the canary in the coal mine. It's one of those things that if you if things change, your intuition starts saying, hey, something's different. Pay attention. Look at this. The question is, what's it mean? What do you do about it? And so the answer to those questions, I think you have to have data. And that's what we're going to talk about here is where can you get some of that data? Because as you, you know, just like weather forecasting, past trends do not necessarily predict future performance. Things may have been going great the last three or four years. That doesn't mean that the next 12 months are going to be awesome or that they're going to be terrible. You don't know. Uh, could be any, any number of things. Um, to do this, you need national data. I think you need a regional component to the data. And then I think you need to go look at what kind of data can you get from your backyard? 
And we'll talk a little bit about each one of those. And then the key to all of this is once you've got it set up, keeping it current. And we'll talk, we'll, we'll talk about a basic structure for that and some things that you can do to help make that happen. But as we look at national data, there are several different sources that are good. Um, some are better than others. I'll so put it that way. One of them is your general news. That's your ABC, NBC, Fox, CNN, you know, those folks. And they are a source of data, but I think we all know that, that they have to sell advertising to make money. And, you know, the classic line, if it bleeds, it leads. The bad news, you know, gets you on the edge of your seat and gets you more, it tends to grab your attention more. So I think it, as you look at the general news media, you kind of have to take that into account and say, okay, yeah, but, and that's just part of your data. And then you have to evaluate that, like all your data sources. Another data source that's a little bit better is the financial news. And by that, I mean, you know, Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, Barron's, all those types of, of sources. Um, from my experience, they'll have better financial information uh, on a national level, but they still need to sell some advertising dollars, you know, to, to, to make money. And not, they're not quite as dependent, I think, as the general news media. But I think the quality of the information they get is better. One of the, what I like to do is combine that with what I call uh, subscription services that focus on economic data. One that I like a lot is uh, ITR Economics for as little as, and I don't, this is not a commercial for them. I don't get any money out of this. Uh, but for 20, as little as $20 a month, you can get some good basic data on what's going on. Again, it's national level, but they are a non-political data-driven organization that predicted the Great Recession, predicted the depth of it, the duration of it. Um, they they helped a lot of people make some good money with those predictions. Um, this is just one snapshot of part of one report that for $20 a month you get. And there are different levels of subscription. You can spend $100 a month, you can spend more. And they do some really good live webinars uh, every month or two where they talk about um, different trends and what's driving them and, and how they do their analysis um, I think it's really good to look at. It's a, it's a good source of data. Um, and that, again, that's just one of some that, that's out there. You can find others. Um, do any of y'all use or, or access a an economic subscription service, or do you have subscriptions to like uh, Bloomberg, Barron's, Wall Street Journal, any, anything like that that any of you folks use on a regular basis? Okay. And that's that's not unusual. Well, I'm sorry, uh, financial no, but uh, Harvard Harvard Business Review. It sometimes has uh, financial and uh, some, uh, local fi financial updates. Okay. California, San Francisco Bay Area. Good. Yeah, we're going to talk about some of the regional the and the local stuff in a minute. So that's good. Um, yeah, Harvard Business Review is really good on management techniques, uh, management. Um, topics. And I think that's always helpful too. I think that's, that's part of <clears throat> as managers kind of rounding out our skill set. Uh, there are lots of things like that that I read as well. Um, what I'm looking at are sources of data that help you rely less on emotion. You know, I'm, I'm in the Northwest corner of South Carolina. We are one of the top three fastest growing States in the country right now. in in our area within 50 mile radius of my house, we got 100 people a day moving into our area, okay? 
if I were to just listen to the major news networks, I'd be depressed. But if I look at what's happening regionally and get into some of my state and regional data, then I have a much better understanding of what's happening in my neighborhood. And so if I own a fab shop up here, if, if that were the case, I would really want to zero in on that because if you're in Florida, uh, Texas, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, those are the, the top five fastest growing states in the country right now. If you get national data, is not going to tell you a lot about what's happening in your neck of the woods. So I think it's important to combine that national information with the regional stuff. Um, one of the things that uh, that I think is readily available is State Department of Commerce. This is, uh, sorry, this is a little fuzzy. Quality of the picture isn't real good. This is just a, a snapshot of some data from the South Carolina Department of Commerce. You know, we've got building permits, levels by month, by different metropolitan region. Unemployment insurance claims, same breakdown, employment level statistics, home sales statistics. And that's just part of one page of multiple pages that are in little old South Carolina's Department of Commerce. Every state's got this information. It's free. You just go find the website, log on, and, and start tracking that. And that's a good free source of information to kind of help you understand statewide and then regionally in your metropolitan area what's going on. So I think that's a real good real good addition to have. Um, another one is economic development. Um, the economic, at least in, in South Carolina, economic development organizations are regional. They work with State Department of Commerce to recruit new business in. It's good to tap into them, and it's also free, at least in our area, because it tells you, in our case, what types of industries they're recruiting. And are those industries going to come in and try to hire from local folks? Or are they going to bring in a bunch of executives? Is this like uh, IT white collar work? Or are we looking at like a re recent announcement was a really large lithium battery manufacturing operation for vehicles, for electric vehicles. Uh, billions of dollars worth of investment be a lot of blue collar you know, jobs created there. The level of those jobs are going to drive the demand for housing obviously impacts our industry. So having that type of information is is definitely very important. And then uh, as Celia was talking about, some regional economists, there are some areas of the country, I've, as I've worked with clients, where they've already tied in with somebody who's sort of a specialist in a region. You know, like I think there's a guy, I don't know his name, that focuses on Kentucky, Tennessee, you know, kind of area. Uh, and looks at what's happening economically there. We've got a in in South Carolina. We've got a economist that was on one of Reagan's key economic guys. I think he's retired now, but he used to do quarterly reports on what's driving the economy in our area. So those things are available. And Celio, you mentioned some some resources that you use. What sort of local resources do you guys tie into? A business journal. I uh, have a San Francisco Business Journal and. Different areas here in the Bay Area to uh, Silicon Valley Business Journal, San Francisco Business Journal, very focused on a, a lot of their uh, focuses on what you were saying just right now. Companies moving out, moving in, changes, uh, people being let go and so on. Okay, good, good. So you're already doing some of that. That's awesome. Uh, Susan, Chuck, you guys uh, tap into any data like this? Uh have in the past with the Charlotte Business Journal, but uh, they, they uh, quit having a, uh, a 
feature of Rock Hill in our or our little area. So we've uh, we have I haven't looked at that in probably a year or so. But uh, hearing Celio say that, I will pick it back up for sure. Okay. And Rock Hill's in kind of a unique spot. You guys are a suburb of Charlotte, but you're in South Carolina and you're you're kind of close to Columbia, but kind of not. And so it's a little more difficult for you. But um, I think uh, and I've not looked at South Carolina's data to see what's specific to Rock Hill, but I imagine there's some stuff out there that would be like in economic development or in state commerce that might be helpful. Yeah, I'll check that out. Okay. Susan? Well, we're um, Mount Area is um, pretty rural. Um, so um, we are involved with uh, our local economic development. Um, we're um, also involved you know, with the local chamber. But, um, you know, we, we have residential traffic here, but we also spread out um, you know, to a couple hour radius. We have uh, a lot of work in Virginia. Uh, closer to the Roanoke area, um, so you know we 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 definitely almost have a region probably instead of just very local because we are so rural. Yeah, definitely. And I've I've got some clients in other states in semi-rural areas, you know, kind of like that, and and they have to kind of reach out to multiple sources because they're not hitting just one metropolitan area. Uh, they're they're on the fringes of several metropolitan areas and. Obviously, with COVID, there was a lot of spillover of people leaving urban areas, heading out a little bit more rural areas, and and kind of impacting uh, areas like like yours, Susan, that are you know a little bit a little bit more kind of semi-rural, you know, um, not necessarily part of the big city. So, yeah, I think it's good to to get this data and and look at it to kind of understand, you know, what what's it telling you about the trends in your area? What's it what's that going to look like? Because obviously, if you're in you know, Chuck's in South Carolina, Susan's in North Carolina. The trends that they're going to see would be totally different than somebody in Maine or Oregon or Washington State. Um, California, you know, supposedly is losing lots of people, but Celio sounds like, at least in your area in San Francisco, things are still wide open. So while a state may not be doing great in terms of population growth, an individual area within a state can still be doing very strongly. So tracking all that data, I think, is to be really important. That's part of what I want to, I like to encourage folks to do is to look at multiple sources of data like that. And Ed, uh, one challenge that I see is uh, even though I, I follow, I receive uh, some weekly updates and, and to see what's going on, it's actually the hard part is adding those weekly or monthly updates together to then be able to look at a trend. Because, yeah, uh, in a month you'll see that Facebook is letting go 4,000 people. And then a couple campuses are being sold, right? Because companies are leaving. Next month, there's companies coming in and so on. So seeing that, it's good to have it in your head. It's always helpful. But it may give you a, a, a false sense of, I know what's going on. But adding those up uh and following and putting it somewhere where i can see not just the, the latest month or the latest week but the trend is very helpful and that's that's a challenge for me Kristen. yeah i can understand yeah, that yeah. do you tap into regional economic development organizations and your state department of commerce at all no 
we do follow on some permits from the major cities, right? San Francisco, San Jose, Oakland, around here. The permits are, again, a good source of information, but you understand from those permits what the refund, the, what will, will help our tile and stone business is a very different thing, right? Sometimes right. there's a big warehouse coming up with three bathrooms and that's it. <laughs> so yeah. a lot of square footage, a, bit, a lot of lots of millions of dollars, but uh, not a lot of tile and stoneware. Well, one of the reasons I asked about state commerce and economic development is that from my experience, uh, you're right, trying to keep track of all this in your head and, and trying to do the trends and plot it uh, with, with the data is, is really difficult. And that's why I like, like, like the graph on the screen here. You're looking, even though it's tough to read because it's fuzzy, if you're looking at, you know, the, the building permits, well, each one of those six squares is a regional area. And then we're looking at, I, I think in this case, it's either quarterly or monthly data. So you've got the trends in those, you know, the last six to 12 months trends of those different areas. And so I think the economic development and state commerce folks are looking at that big picture saying, okay, yeah, Facebook is is laying off and they're going to sell off this campus, but we also are out here recruiting uh, Microsoft to come in. They need space and they're actually considering buying that campus. And so here's what we think the net, you know, headcount's going to be or whatever. And they're also tracking the population trends. Um, you know, there's a lot of exodus out of cities into the rural areas during the pandemic with remote work for white collar folks. Um, but then as, as people move in and out of areas, as economic conditions change, I think your state commerce and your economic development folks are keeping tabs on kind of that net impact to kind of help you understand what that's going to mean for you in a lot of cases. So it might, maybe worth digging into some of those sources, Celio, to see if they can help you out a little bit. Thank you. So now we start getting into our, our backyard. And trying to say, okay, as you know, as Celio said, when you get all these different sources of information, even when you track them regularly, you can only keep so much of this in your head, and it's tough to put this in a format that that really says, okay, so what are my sales going to be in August or September, or or what? You know, what's fourth quarter going to look like? Um, and that's where I think you take the national and regional data. And then you start diving into your local sources of data and getting really specific. And one good example is Home Builders Association. You know, every, every time I bring this up, I face to face with a fabricator that I get the eye roll and the head head shake back and forth. And people are going, oh, no, not this again. Because I think most fabricators, you know, when they first started off, went to the Home Builders Association, hoping to get a lot of business, and they got nothing. And they, they felt like it's a waste of time. But hear me out for a second. What I have found is that when a fabricator will go to a Home Builders Association meeting and instead of trying to recruit customers, go looking for data. You know, your customer may not be in that meeting, but if you're selling to production builder, there's probably another production builder in that meeting or custom home builder or, or whomever. Any, you know, your B2B, whoever your B2B customers are, and you can go walk up to them and say, hey, Bob, I understand, you know, you're doing custom home building. How was last year for you? How many homes did you do last year? Great. What's What kind of was the price range? Are you in? You're in that quarter million to half million dollar range. You're doing a million and up. You know, you kind of get a feel for that. So how was the first half of this year compared to last year? What's that look like? And then you can go on further and 
start asking about, so what do you think the second half of this year is going to look like for you? And what you're doing is you're having what's called an authentic business conversation. You're not, it, it can be part of a good, really good part of a sales process, which I'm not going to get into today. We talked about that some couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago. But what you can do is find out from Bob the Builder that, yeah, first six months of this year, we're kind of up and down. We're probably a little slower than last year. But right now, it looks like the second half of this year will equal last year. And by the way, I'm in the half million to a million dollars home size range. And I think we're going to, you know, the next half of this year, we're going to we're gonna do 50 homes. You know, uh, you can ask about trends. Are you are you staying in that half million to million dollar year size range, or are you getting a lot more requests to move up in the million to two million dollar range? What sort of trends are you seeing in the the types of kitchens and the types of baths people are doing? Are they doing these large multi person walk in baths that got you know fifteen different nozzles hosing you down with a fire hose, which indicates one type of of bathroom for you? Are you seeing a lot more outdoor kitchens? Are folks gravitating more towards natural stone? Or are they moving, still staying with the white quartz and the white porcelain? You know, you can ask those kind of questions. And now you're starting to get data. And just like Bob's, just like the weatherman, Bob's trying to predict the future for the next six months. It won't be precise, but you talk to Bob and you talk to Sue and you talk to Mary and you talk to four or five, six people at this meeting and now you're starting to get an idea of what the trends are looking like. And when you find folks who are in the market segments that you're already in, that starts to give you additional data on, gee, you know, my custom home builder business, it's been kind of off and on so far this year, but it looks like it's going to firm up, could be strong next year. I mean, for the rest of this year. And now you're starting to be able to take that data, correlate it with this regional and national data we talked about, and start to form a really good picture of what the rest of this year could look like. Does that make sense? Okay. So start. we're starting to drill down to something more specific that you can slink your teeth into, something that you can use to, to start driving some forecasts, specific forecasts for your company, which is where we want to get to. You can have the same kind of conversations with your current B2B customers. You've got outside salespeople, or if you are it, you know, you're going out and talking to your builders. You can ask them the same questions. Hey, you know, we did we did 20 kitchens for you last year. Looks like first half of this year, you're kind of on track to do the same. What do you think the second half looks like? And the same thing about trends and volume and style. And, you know, you're, you're talking to a builder that hadn't done any outdoor kitchens, and he's going, you know, I... I think our volume is going to be the same, but we're starting to move up market. Our houses are getting more expensive, and we're getting a lot more requests for outdoor kitchens. Well, if that's a current B2B customer, man, you want to know that, right? Because that's different adhesives and different materials and you know the whole, the whole shooting match. Or if somebody's coming to you and saying, well, I think we're going to be a little bit slower the next half of this year. Well, is it because you can't get enough labor? You can't manage and produce houses fast enough is it a, a lack of land i mean in, in our town we're considered pretty much built out and so trying to find you know actual lots in the city limits tough to find and so that that's an issue um or is it a situation where they have fewer buyers for whatever reason because they're in a 
a market segment where they're really that, you know, if you're in the lower end of the price range, you're getting that impact on, on interest rates is a lot more significant. It's felt a lot harder on a lower end of the range than for the folks that can afford the million, two million, three million dollar houses. They don't worry as much about that. So you can dig into both the pluses and minuses on that, talking to your existing customers. And certainly with your prospective B2B customers, you can have the same conversation. In fact, as your sales folks go out and talk to existing and prospective B2B customers, they should be tasked with gathering this data. Every customer, that, every client that I'm working with right now, whether they're struggling with sales or not, we're building out the capability of going in and as they go make a visit with anybody, current or prospective B2B customer, they're sitting down afterwards making a few notes. Here's what we think the next six months look like based on this conversation with Bob. Here's the market they're going to be into. Here's how many how many starts we think they're looking at. Here's the what we think the average stone job is going to be for them. And, and starting to build out the data from these conversations. Does an approach like this sound like it could be helpful to you folks? Yes. At least you have a, uh, a source to go to to back up uh, your future plans. Definitely. And then you can take, and I know, you know, Chuck's driving and so maybe tougher to see on his phone. Um, and if you guys need copies of this, I can send it out, but I've just got a spreadsheet up here on screen. That's got July, August and September broken out and across the top. And then down the left-hand side, I've got a section for current B2B customers. And there's a line for each customer. And under July, it's got number of jobs, average dollars per job, and what's our confidence level in that forecast? So if you're if you're working with Bob the Builder, he's an existing B2B customer. He says, Yeah, I, I think I'm gonna do, you know, two or three jobs a month for the rest of the year. And if you work with Bob a while and you know he's got pretty good business sense and he's got his finger on the pulse, and you may be highly confident in that forecast. But you may go talk to another contractor and oh yeah, man, we're just we're setting the world on fire. We're gonna do 10 houses a month, and you're thinking okay, this guy's a little wound up. I might be 50-50 on that forecast, you know? And so you're going to put a percentage on it. It's your best guess. It won't be perfect, but it's your best guess. But now you can do the math and say, okay, you know, Bob's probably good for about $60,000 worth of work in July. And he's talking about how August and September run a lot stronger. And so Bob's going to be 60 in July, 120 in August, 150 in September. And now you're starting to build a forecast. And you do that with your existing B2B customers, take your best guess on what your confidence level is in their understanding of their business and do the math. And then on your prospective customers, your confidence level is a little bit different. It's it's a combination of, you know, does does Chris the K and B operation have a good handle on their business and do they seem to be pretty confident in their forecast combined with this is a prospective customer? What's our percent probability we're going to land this account? And so you're going to combine those together and do the same thing. Number of kitchens, average size of job, confidence level, do the math. And now you've got your current B2B customers with a forecast. That should be a stronger forecast. And your prospective B2B customers with a forecast, it won't be quite as strong. But now you've got some numbers to work with. 
And if you stay on top of this every month, you sit down now, you do your forecast for the for each month for the rest of this year. And then you sit down the 1st of August to look at July and say, well, you know, we really, Chris, Chris contractor said he's going to do four jobs. He actually did six. Or, you know, Bob said he was going to do two. He actually didn't do any, you know, and, and you start adjusting those forecasts or you go back and you ask those folks questions. Hey, you thought you were going to do four, you did six. What changed? Well, we, we found some extra guys and we were able to get a couple more starts done. We still think our, our forecast for the rest of the year is going to hold. Okay, so you don't adjust your forecast. You know, Bob said he's going to do two. He didn't do any. Yeah, you know, our, our side of the market, we just can't find buyers. I'm sitting on two houses now. I can't afford to start another house till I sell these, and it's going slow right. You know, all that information is data that you can plug into a spreadsheet and start looking at, well, what do I think my business is going to look like in July and August and September, et cetera? Does that type of approach sound viable for you? It does. We definitely do some of this. We work with uh, a good number of KMBs, but we have grown exponentially. Um, so we do this, but as far as having it recorded like this, uh, so you really can, so you're guided by data instead of feels. Um, th this is awesome uh, because our, our sales staff are to follow up with their accounts and you know they have the data of where we are now how many how many jobs that we've done for them uh jobs in progress but as far as having the conversation hey what's it looking like going forward they should be doing some of that but as far as having it recorded um to look for a projection that's not being done okay what would be the susan what would be the value of, of recording this and then updating it every month from, from your perspective? Oh, I, I think it's invaluable, um, you know, just to be able to to look forward to, you know, have an idea of what's coming. Um, I, I'm a data nerd, so <laughs> I, I love it. So uh, obviously taking your intuition and quantifying it is helpful, certainly. takes the sure. takes kind of reduces the emotion of, I just read three articles and they all say that we're headed for a recession for the next 18 months. You know, it helps take out that negative impact, emotional impact. Part of my question is, okay, if you've got this vision for the next six months and let's say it shows you have a really strong probability of growing 20% in the next six months, what's that do for you? Right now, it'd scare the heck out of us. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are already growing real fast, it sounds like, so I can understand that. We need we need some fabricators in the shop. Gotcha. Well, it would also it would allow you to to forecast what you need uh, versus just going by gut feel and seeing what uh, other contractors are uh, the other contractors are doing. It allow you to actually have the data necessary to back up the feelings, so you actually have something to action on to move on. And that's that's the whole idea, I think, is is you hit the nail on the head, Chuck, is is being able to start to to put firm plans in place and take action on that. There's a if you hit hit the website, uh, fabricatorscoach.com and hit the free tools tab, there's an annual planning spreadsheet that if you 
track your throughput dollars per order, the cash each order generates for you, and your operating expense per day or, or per month, the cash that you burn. And then you take this forecast, use it to drive that annual planning spreadsheet. Now you can say, you know, Susan, you guys are already growing, you know, like a house of fire, it sounds like. And if, if your forecast said that we've got another 30% coming at us in the next 12 months, then you can start looking month to month as you hit these different sales levels. Well, I've got to add another templar. I'm going to need two more customer service folks. That, you know, come October, I, I need to have two CAD people trained up because I'm going to need them. You know, or if it's trending the other way, you can say, okay, how do I keep that from happening? You know, I've got uh, I've got a client right now that's got a really strong. He's in a semi-rural area. Uh, it's in a state that's losing people but he's forecasting 30% growth this year because even though he knows the economy and some of the demographics are working against him, he's going out and hiring more salespeople so that his overall sales is not going to drop off. It's actually going to grow. And it's partly as a result of doing this type of planning and looking at what is what the forecast is on your financials as a result of this sales forecast to say, okay, here's what I need to do with my business, good or bad. Sales generally uh, have not been our problem, especially as of late. Uh, when I get all these emails and I manage, I manage the boss's inbox as well. So if I get all these folks saying we can increase your sales and I'll delete, delete, delete. <laughs> uh, that is, that is not the problem uh, right now. It's getting it through the shop. Um, just the, the volume of work we have and, I don't know about, about you guys, but the uh, specialty work that we've had has increased, um, you know, just higher end stuff. And it takes more time to get it through the shop. Quartzite takes more time to get it through the shop. Yep. Um, so, and finding folks who will work is, you know, I'm sure that's a problem everybody has. But um, we have a very good team, but we need more. Understood. Yeah, it's it's a the it's good news, bad news. As the economy softens up, there are different areas of the country where there are some people becoming available to pick up, and some of them are pretty good folks. Uh, and and Susan, um, if you want to, uh, either in our next half hour, we can talk about this, or we can have a separate phone call. There's some specific things I can recommend for you that may help out. Um, I've helped some fabricators hire some people over the last few years. Both I usually get involved in hiring key managers. And, and the next article, you know, next month is about that aspect of things. But I've also, there's a few things you can do to hire some of the hourly folks that you need. And on the website, I've got some tools that talk about how to free up 10% of the capacity you're already paying for. There's some really key, simple things you can do that'll help with, with just taking what you've already got and utilizing that better. So if that's a conversation you'd like to have, we can, again, after we wrap up here or at another time, we can we can do that. Sure. So um, there, there are ways. It's it's a challenge, certainly. I think it's getting to be a more manageable challenge these days. Uh, I've got a client that's in Central Texas. You know, Central Texas, I mean, he's trying to hold his growth to below 50% a year because Central Texas is just exploding, and we're trying to make sure he gets the right management structure and company structure in place to support the growth. And, of course, finding hourly folks is is a real challenge for him. But we've, we've done a few things that have been pretty successful for him, so – uh, there's some we there's a couple things we're thinking about. Okay, great. Celio, you've been mighty quiet, man. What's on your mind? 
have a question or a question for suggest or uh, for suggestions on is anyone using anything else other than Excel to try to put these uh, numbers together, or have you found something that has been helping you with uh, putting these numbers together? And besides that, yeah, adding that to, uh, I believe, uh, Susan was saying uh, the challenges on fabricating and what what material, different materials, getting all of that information together while still trying to run the day to day. It's a big challenge. It, it can be, and that's where if you can nail down a, some key sources uh, of data, you know, for your regional data. Um, can be helpful because you can just, uh, like what I do is I just go hit them on a regular basis. It's kind of like part of my management rhythm for my business. Um, and on your your sale, your specific sales forecast, that's the kind of thing you need for your salespeople to be bringing you the data. As far as how to pull that data together, smaller shops get by fine with a spreadsheet, just like what we've got on screen here. Um, but a larger shops, if you've got a good CRM program, customer relationship manager type program that tracks all of your leads, uh, tracks all of your sales calls, if your salespeople are using that in a good disciplined fashion, then they'll be able to, every every lead is a, is a sales opportunity. Different packages <coughs> call those different names. They call them deals. They have different terminology for them. But if you're using a CRM, you can you can you will automatically be able to build in size of job, you know, um, what you think the revenue is going to be. Some can allow you to put a confidence level in there and then you can dump that data out and analyze that. So that's, that's another way to do that as well. If, if you've got that type of system with your salespeople. Good. Thank you. Well, a couple of final thoughts. Uh, one is one thought I'll always like to leave folks with is that your business is running exactly the way you've designed it to run. And if you're not happy with how it's running, um, then it's time to make a change. Hopefully, I'll give you some ideas of some things to change here today. Uh, if you want to get a little deeper, you know, give me a call. Uh, hit the hit the hit the website uh, fabricatorscoach.com. Uh, press the button to schedule a, an assessment. Be glad to do that and and get a little deeper into to some specifics for your company. Um, keep your eyes out too for some things we've got coming down to Pike. Some of you have talked about needing some help with sales. I know Susan doesn't want any help with sales, uh, <laughs> which is a good good problem to have. Uh, we've got a sales mastery class. We're about to wrap up the 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 packaging on it, and it should launch. I think we're going to start marketing it in the next few weeks. So if you're interested in something like this, will be self paced online with uh, with a live a small live component. So if you're interested in something like that, keep your keep your eyes open for that. Keep your ears open. Um, our next article coming out first of next month is titled "The One Thing to Know When Hiring Your Next Manager," and it's what are some of those key characteristics to look for. And I'll give you a, a spoiler alert: the key characteristic does not include countertop fabrication experience. There are other characteristics that are, I think, very important. Um, and, and I can give you some good examples too of of how we've used those characteristics to find some good folks for some good good fabricators. But well, thank you for taking some time out of your Thursday to, to be with us. I uh, hope this has been helpful for you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fabricators Coach Podcast. If you've got any additional questions about this particular episode or anything else, please check us out at fabricatorscoach.com. Thanks. Have a great day.